Hey, thanks for tuning into our podcast today. My name is Derek Puckett. I'm the lead pastor at Renewal Church of Chicago. If you want to know more information about us, you can head to our website at RenewalChicago.com. I pray today that this message is a blessing and an encouragement to your soul. So Ruth chapter 2 and verse 20, if you're not familiar with the scriptures, just go on and Google Ruth chapter 2 and verse 20, and essentially what we're going to do is look at one particular passage of scripture, and as we embark on 2021, we are going to try to tell the story of the entirety of the book of Ruth, a tall task, but I hope I'm up to it. So when you've got Ruth chapter 2 and verse 20, shout, I got it. Awesome. It reads this way. And Naomi said to her, daughter-in-law, may he be blessed by the Lord whose kindness has not forsaken the living or the dead. May he be blessed by the Lord whose kindness has not forsaken the living or the dead. The very words of scripture. Amen. Amen. Born in 1897 in Philadelphia, Pennsylvania, Marian Anderson rose to prominence to be Uh, maybe the greatest singer in all of the 20th century. People would clamor from all over to hear her rich contralto voice, and uh, they would fill arenas, they would fill venues, and, uh, and her singing took her all over the world. She sang for presidents. She was a personal friend of Albert Einstein. I mean, she filled out venues from 1925 all the way to 1965 as Uh, as poems and plays were inspired by her, as awards were named after her, as she inspired and challenged the upcoming generation of singers, she was maybe the greatest singer in all of the 20th century. And yet the reality would be that Marian Anderson's life, where she was by the end of her career, was a far cry from where she was when she began her life. As a matter of fact, when you study Marian Anderson's life, what you'll come to find out is that when she was 12 years old, her father passed away from a terrible accident. Uh, She was then forced to live with her grandparents, and by the time she reached the eighth grade, the, the family realized that they didn't have enough money to send her to high school, and so her pastor and a number of other community leaders and people in the community gathered resources together so that she could go to high school and that so that she could go get music lessons, and uh, and so she did. And eventually, she decided that she wanted to join the Philadelphia Music Academy. And as she goes uh, to the administration office, she's told by the administrator there, "We're sorry." But we don't accept colored people here. And so where Marian Anderson found herself at the end of her career was very different from where her life began. And so if you could imagine, as people are clamoring to come and see her sing, to hear her beautiful voice as she's traveling around the world filled out arenas, different languages, different people from all over, shouting out at the end of her concerts, encore, 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 encore. We must hear Marian Anderson again. 
It's as though she looked back over her life as they were shouting out encore, encore, encore at the end of her concerts and as if she could see that 12-year-old child who was simply trying to get back on her feet, who uh, tried to go to the Philadelphia Music Academy and was turned away because of the color of her skin, and now she's traveling the world. Everybody everywhere wants to hear her voice. It's as though Marian Anderson looked back over the course of her life and saw the kindness and the grace of God. And you might think that as she's getting ready to come back out to sing that encore to all these fans who have come to see her, that she would sing one of those greats from Enrico Caruso or Gustav Mahler, but no. Instead, she would sing that old Negro spiritual. He's got the whole world in his hands. He's got the whole wide world in his hands. As we get ready to come to our passage this morning, the context of the book of Ruth is a tumultuous one. It's it's one in which the characters represented look back just like Marian Anderson and see all the calamity and all the tumultuous situations and all the devastation, and yet they still see the kindness the grace, and the love of God. And there's so many things in the book of Ruth that we could talk about as we enter into 2021. We could talk about manhood, womanhood, poverty, social justice. We, we could talk about interracial marriage. We could talk about all of these different things. And yet the one thing that resounds off of the pages of the book of Ruth is that old Negro spirit. He's got the whole world in his hands. He's got the whole wide world in his hands. I want to preach this morning as we embark on 2021 from the subject, a beautiful providence. A beautiful providence. Will you bow your heads and pray with me? Heavenly Father, we thank you for your grace and kindness to us this morning. We thank you, God for the opportunity to hear from your word. And now we pray as we hear from you, God, that you would help us understand your word, but that we wouldn't just hear it, but we would put it into action for your glory and for our good. It's in Jesus' name that I pray. Amen. Now, for many of us in this particular season and time, uh, we have found ourselves Uh, maybe in the most tumultuous situation of our lives. We uh, maybe have lost a job. Maybe we we have lost loved ones. And many of us are just trying to retain our mental and emotional health in the midst of a pandemic. And the ironic thing or the interesting thing about the book of Ruth is that the book of Ruth uh, is set in a particular situation and circumstance in world history that has some similar characteristics. You see, the people in the book of Ruth are not in the middle of a pandemic, but they're in the middle of an incredible famine. And in chapter 1 and verse 1, if I could just give us some of the, uh, the backdrop from where we parachute into our passage, the, the book of Ruth places the context in 
uh, a time period that the judges ruled or when the judges ruled. And something that you have to understand to understand the context of the book of Ruth is that the time period of the book of Judges, which is just the book right before Ruth, is uh, a time period that was incredibly difficult for the people of Israel. As a matter of fact, when you look at the beginning of Judges, there's a refrain that shows up over and over again throughout the book of Judges and closes with the same refrain. In those days, it says, there was no king in Israel, and everyone did what was right in their own eyes. In those days, there was no king in Israel, and everyone did what was right in their own eyes. And what proceeds to play out in the book of Judges is this spiraling out of control in the Old Testament portions of our scriptures. And that is the context that this societal spiraling out of control, uh, that is the context that the book of Ruth uh, is written in. And it takes place in the midst of a place called Moab. And what you have to understand is that the people in Israel always had beef with people in Moab. There was always some kind uh, of tension with the Moabites. And yet this famine has hit the land uh, so terribly that Elimelech, who's the first character that we're introduced to in the book of Ruth, uh, he is the patriarch of his family. And he says, you know what? This is so difficult. We've got to leave Bethlehem and we've got to go to Moab, even though we got so much beef with Moab. And then something terrible happens. Something terrible happens. And and all of a sudden, we're told that Elimelech dies. Now, here he is with his wife and his kids. He's the patriarch of a family in a patriarchal society, and all of a sudden, both of Elimelech's sons die as well. And the only one who is left from the family is a woman named Naomi, Elimelech's wife. And Naomi is an older woman at this time, and uh, in a patriarchal society that is dependent on your family lineage and the husband through whom you are connected to, she's too old to work, she's uh, she's, she doesn't have any sons, so she would have been completely dependent on them to protect and to provide for her in the middle of a time in history where everybody did whatever they thought was right in their own eyes. So she is a person who is in grave danger in Moab. And so she decides, you know what, I'm going to go back to Bethlehem and, and see if I can't get myself back on my feet. Her husband has died. Her two sons have died. And all that she's left with are her two daughter-in-laws. And so she tells her daughter-in-laws, knowing that in light of this situation, in light of it being a patriarchal society, y'all will do better if you go back to your father's homes. They'll be able to protect you. They'll be able to provide for you. This is a time when there's no king in Israel and everybody's just doing whatever they want to do. Uh, And so that will be a better situation for you. And maybe you're young enough that you'll be able to get remarried and you'll be able to take care of yourselves. But for me, I'm going to go back. I'm going to go back to Bethlehem. So weeping, Orpah returns to her father's house, and yet Ruth refuses to go back. The namesake of our book this morning. And she insists on coming with her mother-in-law, Naomi, and 
uh, and, and just, just refuses. And so as they travel back to Bethlehem, they enter into the city, and the Bible says the whole town was stirred, uh, stirred at Naomi's arrival, and the, the women who left the woman who left Bethlehem to go away to this foreign country who has lost everything had now returned with her foreign daughter-in-law and she said in devastated melancholic tone if i could use my imagination as she's riding in uh riding into Bethlehem uh don't call me Naomi don't call me that that's That's not something that really, truly characterizes my life. Her name means pleasant. That's what Naomi means. Instead, she says, call me Mala, which means bitterness. Because that is a more accurate depiction of my life. Bitterness. And as you can imagine, Naomi in this particular society, is at the bottom of the bottom, and her hope left a long time ago. She has no son, she has no husband, and she anticipates the remainder of her life to be characterized by sorrow, suffering, and poverty. And yet, from chapter 1 to chapter 4, a lot changes. It's it's as though what started out on one side has now been turned over on the other side. But by the time we get to chapter four, evidently everything has shifted. But how could this happen? How would that even be possible in the midst of all of what they're experiencing and what they've experienced? Look with me at the latter half of chapter four in verse 15. It says this, For your daughter-in-law who loves you, uh, for your daughter-in-law who loves you, stop there. I I want you to recognize the relationship that Naomi Naomi has with her daughter-in-law, Ruth. At the end of chapter 1, Naomi tries to give Ruth and Orpah out, as we've already said, and so they, they can have the best lives that they could possibly have. And so she tries to, to say, go back to your respective families, uh, and Ruth refuses. And in this moving response in chapter 1 and verse 16, this is what she says. She says, do not urge me to leave you or to return from following you, for where you go, I will go, and where you lodge, I will lodge. Your people shall be my people and your God, my God. Where you die, I will die, she says, and there will I be buried. May the Lord do so to me and more also if anything but death parts me from you. Now, here's what you have to understand, what she has just said. Naomi knows that Ruth's best chance for a decent life is to stay in Moab and go back to her father's house. She's young. She'll probably be able to get remarried to a Moabite husband pretty quickly. Her father could take care of her and oversee uh, that she's not taken advantage of. And yet, if she decides to come with Naomi, she's almost guaranteed to live a life of poverty. Naomi is, is somebody who's ethnically different in a place that has had historically significant tension with the Moabite people in Bethlehem. And, and so the, the, the thing that 
uh, Ruth is going to have to experience is that she's going to be the only one who's going to be able to provide for Naomi because Naomi's too old to work. And in this particular society, in a time period when there was no king in Israel and everyone did what was right in their own eyes, it's not going to be a good life for Ruth. She ought to have gone back to her father's house in her own homeland. But instead, she chooses to be a suffering servant, to lay down her rights for the sake of Naomi, to ensure that Naomi's life isn't characterized by mala, bitterness. As a matter of fact, Ruth is putting herself in danger. And we know that because in chapter 2, Boaz had to charge the young men not to touch her. Later, Naomi tells Ruth not to glean barley from any other field except for Boaz's field so that she wouldn't be assaulted. And Ruth's life was literally at stake in making this decision to go back with Naomi. But she decides to leave comfort and peace and protection in the name of serving her mother-in-law and laying down her rights. Chapter 1 and verse 16 is a turning point in Ruth's life. Uh, uh, She says, I will go where you go and I will stay where you stay. Your people will be my people and your God will be my God. And many Bible scholars believe that this is the moment when Ruth became a follower of uh, the God of the Bible. She uses the name Yahweh when referring to God, uh, and it, it is the personal covenant-keeping name for God. Yahweh will be my Yahweh. So then Ruth begins to go to work, and she goes out into the grain fields, and, and every day she works uh, hard in order for her and Naomi to eat. Ruth may literally be, literally be Naomi's only provision. This woman who left the comforts of her homeland to become a lowly suffering servant, uh, in, in that way she is a kind of redeemer. But not only did Ruth leave the comfort of her homeland to take on the life of a suffering servant, but she has become incredibly important to Naomi. Look at that second portion of chapter 4 and verse 15. Uh, she says, your, it says, your daughter-in-law who loves you, who is more to you than seven sons. In the midst of all that Naomi has lost, Ruth has become to her like more than the most important thing that could have characterized Naomi's life in the midst of that particular season in history. You have to understand that, that sons would have been the most important aspect of her life. They, they represented provision, protection, status, and family identity. The, the, the family was the most important aspect of, of life in the ancient world. It represented everything that was most valuable in that culture. And sons would ensure the family name would continue. A woman like Naomi in her old age would have been solely dependent on her sons in that culture. And yet the text says that Ruth has become more important to her 
uh, than seven sons. Ruth has become so important and special and beloved by Naomi that she is worth more to her than anything else in the world. This Moabite widow is so important to Naomi that she has become better to her than everything she had hoped for in life in the midst of her heartaches and her loss and her pain and her shame. Somehow God has given Naomi something she would have never anticipated. Something in the midst of the sorrow and the shame and the disappointment that wasn't in Naomi's plan in life. Many of us We focus on the ideals of life. We have a plan for how things are going to shake out. We have a plan and process for when we want to get to where we are, uh, are trying to get in life. We expect in our own lives to live based on the ideals of life. So we take our idealism of life and what we want out of it. And then when the idealism of life doesn't happen in our lives, we don't know what to do. And we go back to those ideals over and over and over again. Missing out on what God is trying to do in our lives right now. You see, the truth of the matter is that in a broken and a fallen world, very few things happen according to our ideals. You may have said to yourself, just for example's sake, you may have said to yourself, you know what, uh, by the time I'm 23... Uh, I'm going to meet the, the, the perfect person, and then when we're 25, we're, we're going to get married, and then when we're 27, we're going to buy a house and, with a white picket fence, and uh, it's, it's all going to be restoration hardware, uh, uh, furniture in our home, and, and, and then we're going uh, to have a baby, and we're, we're going to have uh, ourselves a, a dog whose name is Skipper. And yet as you make your way through your 20s and somebody passes away, that romance that was going to give you the warm fuzzies all up on the inside of you never comes to pass. That man who you thought was going to be Prince Charming and sweep you off of your feet ends up not being what you thought that he was. There's some curveball that happens in a broken and a fallen world because life rarely operates in ideals. And the job for the follower of Jesus is not to try to hold on so tightly to those ideals that we miss the blessings of the things that God wants to do in and through our lives. Look with me at verse 14 of chapter 4. As this woman, Naomi, 
has this daughter-in-law who has become more to her than seven sons, who loves her, something that she would have never anticipated in life. Uh, And in, in the midst of circumstances where she's saying to her life, my life is characterized by bitterness, and so many of us may find ourselves in a particular situation. This pandemic has shown us that life rarely works out in ideals, and we're just trying to hold on to get through this thing. Look with me at chapter 2, or excuse me, chapter 4 and verse 14. It says, Then the women said to Naomi, Blessed be the Lord who has not left you this day without a Redeemer, and may his name be renowned in Israel. So when Ruth and Naomi had gotten back to Bethlehem, they had to figure out a way to eat. And so Ruth wandered into a field, a man named Boaz, uh, who was a wealthy landowner owned. And the text says in Ruth 2 and verse 3 that Ruth happened to come to that part of the field belonging to Boaz. And Boaz ensures that Ruth and Naomi have food, and he ensures uh, that no one takes advantage of Ruth. In 2 and verse 14, uh, Boaz invited her to come and eat with him. And the idea in this particular society and culture that a poverty-stricken foreigner would sit down with a wealthy landowner at, at the same table and eat together is crazy. Boaz's generosity is astounding towards her, and he uh, has crossed racial and socioeconomic lines and shown hospitality to Ruth. And the text says that when she was full, she got back up to get ready to go back to work, and Boaz instructed his men to pull some extra bundles of grain for her to glean. Uh, Now, Ruth goes back home to uh, to, uh, uh, to Naomi with her leftovers and all that she had gleaned for the day. And uh, her mother-in-law saw all of what she had come home with in the midst of a situation when they should have been poor. And I, if I could use my imagination, I imagine that uh, Ruth comes back to the house blushing a little bit. And Naomi's sort of like, girl, where you been at? Why you got a smile on your face? And Ruth says to, in response to Naomi, I, I've, been, I've been in Boaz's field, right? And here's the crux of what happens in the midst of this sort of funny situation is that Naomi realizes something in the midst of all of her bitterness. She then says in 2 and 20, chapter 2 and verse 20, May he be blessed by the Lord whose kindness is not forsaken the living nor the dead. Now, This word kindness, and this is the crux of our time together, really, this word kindness shows up several times in the book of Ruth, and it is generally only used to refer to God. And Naomi uses it here to refer to God in the midst of her situation. And in the original language, uh, this word for kindness is the Hebrew word hesed, hesed. Uh, It speaks to the covenant-keeping love. It is the unfailing, uncompromising, unrelenting love of God. It is a love that never gives up. That is what Hesed is. My my pastor used to put it this way, uh, Brian Loritz, he used to say, it is a specific kind of love that is reserved only to people who are in relationship with God. If uh, it, he says, if you don't know God, then if you don't walk with Christ, then you don't know Hesed, the unrelenting, unfailing, uncompromising love of God. 
You see, when we became followers of Jesus, essentially, we have been married or united to Jesus, and Jesus has been married or united to us. So he didn't say when we were united to him, till death do us part, he simply says, I do. So not until death do us part like we would do at a marriage ceremony, but Jesus says when we come to faith in him, when we trust in him as the perfect sacrifice and the one who lived the perfect life that we couldn't live and died in our place and for our sins, and when we cling to him as the way to be made right with God, on his end, he says, I do with no strings attached, no ending in mind, not until death do I part. He simply says, I do. I'm with you come hell or high water. I'm with you. You see, in 2 Samuel chapter 7, a guy by the name of uh, David, and 2 Samuel chapter 7 is the Davidic covenant, historians call it. Uh, it is as if David gets uh, betrothed or gets married to God, and God shows up to David and says, your throne will be established forever, and the fulfillment of that covenant is, is Jesus. In 2 Samuel chapter 11, David commits adultery. So four chapters later, David commits adultery. Four chapters earlier, he says, your throne will last forever. But here's the picture. Four chapters later, despite his adultery, God never gives up on David. David feels the consequences of his sin, but God never gives up on him. And the truth of the matter or the nugget for us to take home is that if you are in covenant relationship with Jesus Christ, having trusted him by faith, then you are in said with him. That means that your mama may give up on you. Your daddy may give up on you. Your spouse may give up on you and leave. You may be left on the road by yourself. And yet the beautiful news of the said, the, the kindness of of God is that regardless of what everybody else did, he says, I'll never give up on you. I'll never leave you nor forsake you. I'll always be here. And so in the midst of all of what we've experienced throughout this pandemic, in the midst of all of what you may be going through. Hear the words of Naomi, who lost her husband, lost her sons, living in a time period where there's famine in the land, and everyone does what is right in their own eyes. She says, in the midst of all of that, years having passed, the Hasset of God, his kindness, his, his grace his, has never given up on me. In other words, in the words of Marian Anderson, he's got you and I in his His loving kindness has not given up on the living nor the dead. 
So we find out that in the midst of all that's going on with Boaz, uh, is, is, uh, we, we, figure, we find out in the midst of all of what's going on that Boaz is one of Naomi's family's kinsman redeemer in that particular culture. And that is to say that as it relates to the Jewish law, he is one of the people related to Naomi's husband who had the ability and the legality to make them part of his family. This would immediately, if, if he were to be their kinsman redeemer and accept responsibility, this would immediately lift Naomi and Ruth out of the poorhouse and into a family filled with wealth. And the only catch is that Boaz would have to marry the foreign Moabite woman Ruth and come up with a large sum of money in order uh, to buy Naomi's husband's land. So chapter 3 sets the scene where Ruth asks Boaz if he would redeem her and if uh, he would marry her. And she makes her request and Boaz, without hesitation, knowing that it could cost him a huge sum of money and potential chastisement and defamation of his reputation, says, I will do all that you ask, surely as the Lord lives. I will redeem you. So now Boaz goes to take care of all of the legal things. And there's another redeemer who wants to buy the land, but he doesn't want to take on Ruth. And so Boaz went down to the sort of courthouse and paid the bill for Naomi's land and for Ruth. And uh, he became their kinsman redeemer. They then get married. Naomi, the Moabite woman, has a son named Obed. And the text says at the end of chapter 4 and verse 17... A son has been born to Naomi, beginning of verse 15. He shall be a restorer of life to you and a nourisher of your old age. So get the picture. Naomi has lost her husband. She has lost her sons. The only person she has is Ruth, her, mother, her, her daughter-in-law, who the Bible says over the course of time has become more important to her than seven sons and who loves her in the midst of a situation where she would have had a better life going uh, to back to her father's house. She decides that she's going to lay down her rights for the sake of Naomi. And then in the midst of all of that, those things, in the midst of her being bitter, in the midst of her saying, this is what my life is characterized by, she just so happens to wander into Boaz's field, who just so happens to be uh, the kinsman redeemer for their family. So in that way, Naomi is in a terrible situation, and I stopped by to tell somebody this morning that apart from a holy and a loving God, you you and I are in a terrible, devastating situation, and yet and still, in spite of all that we're going through and all that we may go through, if we're in relationship with God by way of faith through his son Jesus Christ, through his perfect life, through his sacrificial death, and through his bodily resurrection, the loving kindness of God has not given up on you in 2021. I don't care what you've been through in 2020. 20. I'm moving on. You're pressing on in 2021 because the loving kindness of God has not given up on you. And we know that because Jesus became our suffering servant and because Jesus became our kinsman redeemer so that he could bring us into the family of God. So that for those of us who are followers of Jesus today, 
can know without the shadow of a doubt. That the kindness of God, despite a pandemic, has not forsaken the living nor the dead. I bid you good day, Renewal fam. We'll go home on this one. The story is told of a little boy who used to watch uh, his mother do cross-stitching. And he would sit down on the ground while his mother sat uh, on the couch, and she would uh, do her cross-stitching. She would go in and out with the needle, in and out with the needle, and as this little boy was watching his mother do the cross-stitching from, uh, from his perspective, it looked like an incredible mess. Uh, it looked like there were strings hanging down over here, and there were strings hanging down o- over there, and he began to think to himself, man, my, my mom has some strange interests in hobbies, And these kinds of things really are pretty ridiculous. Like, this doesn't seem like the kind of hobby anybody would actually want to do. And so he's still watching his mom from the floor as she's sitting on the couch, and it just looks like a big mess. There's strings hanging over here. There's strings hanging over there. And and as he's looking up at his mother, his mother realizes that he's perplexed by what it is exactly that she's doing with her cross-stitching. And so uh, the mother looks down at her son and says, Son, come sit down here next to me so that you can see what I'm doing from my perspective. I know that you see it down there from your perspective, but there's something else that I'm doing up here from my perspective. And so the little boy gets up off of the floor and comes and sits down next to his mama and he looks at what his mama was creating and realizes that his mom was never crazy. She didn't have a ridiculous interest in this stupid hobby, but rather this was a hobby where she wasn't creating an ugly mess, but actually from her perspective, it was a beautiful piece of art. Twenty twenty, and maybe even there may be a lot of difficulty in twenty twenty one. I can't promise you that. I ain't gonna promise that twenty twenty gonna be your year of your breakthrough. I ain't that kind of prophet. But I did stop by to share with you that all the stuff in our lives for those of us who are in Christ Jesus that looks like an incredible mess. From our perspective, one day God himself will invite us to sit down next to him. And what looked like an incredible mess to us will be a beautiful work of art. And you'll fall down at your knees and cry out, masterpiece, masterpiece, masterpiece. None of my ideals were met. It didn't work out the way that I planned. I was disappointed in many different ways. And yet his loving kindness has not forsaken me. He's still got the whole world in his hands. He's got the whole wide world. He's got you, friend, in his hands. 
And so I'm going to challenge us this morning, for those of us who have been mailing it in, uh, in our faith in Jesus Christ in 2020, you know, we got stuck in our house, we lost our job, we lost loved ones, and, and we said, you know what, I, I don't have time uh, to spend time with God in the morning. I don't have time to focus on my prayer life. I don't have time to focus on walking with God. I want to challenge you this morning. I, I don't, you know, it's just by happenstance that I clicked on to watch this this morning. Usually I watch it on Wednesday, or maybe I just check out. I do the dishes while I watch it. God is calling you and me to be faithful in this season. To hold on to his unchanging hand. To pursue a relationship with him. Because despite your circumstances and all the different things that are going on in our lives, there is something to experiencing life while holding on to God's hand. It's called joy. It's called hope. And it ought to be the first priority of your year. It ought to be the first priority of your life. It ought to be the first priority of every minute of every day. Somebody else, you're listening to me right now, and you've never uh, decided to be a follower of Jesus. And you've heard this message, you've gone through a lot in 2020, and you're struggling. You don't don't know what to do. And so you turned this on this morning because your friend... Uh, goes to church here, or you, you heard a little bit about it, or maybe you just found it on Facebook or YouTube. I want to say to you, friend, that is not happenstance. Just like Ruth just so happened to wander into Boaz's field. You didn't just so happen to wander to this broadcast. God is calling for you to respond to him this day. For this year. And the good news of the gospel of Jesus Christ is that you can do that by faith right now, wherever you are. You can do that because Jesus Christ is the one who lived the perfect life that you couldn't live, who died in your place and for your sins, and who rose in victory over Satan, sin, and death. And the reality of your situation and my situation is that you've built your life on things other than God, you've trusted in. And, and worship things that aren't God. And now he calls to you to turn from that and to trust in Jesus. And so I challenge you today. Respond to the prompting of the Holy Spirit. Turn from wherever you are, wherever you've built your life, whatever you built your life on, Cling to Jesus today. And you too, friend, can know that the kindness of God has not forsaken the living nor the dead. I might experience some Naomi-type stuff in my life, and yet he still got me in the palm of his hands. Let's pray together. Heavenly Father, we thank you for your grace and kindness this morning. We thank you, God, that this story exists in the scripture to remind us that your grace and kindness is not something that we can bow out of or that we can even remove ourselves from. But you still pursue us. You still, in in the midst of a broken and a fallen world, you still show up in our lives to do good things and to bring 
beauty out of difficult situations. God, would we trust in you and the person and work of Jesus Christ on our behalf today? It's in Jesus' name that I pray. Amen. Thanks again for tuning into our podcast today. I pray that it was a blessing and an encouragement to your soul. I look to see you at one of our services at 930 or 11 a.m. on Sunday morning. Take care. God bless you.